Hey everyone, welcome to the Promise Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to like us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at My Promise Church. And to see what else is going on around here at Promise, please visit us at mypromisechurch.com. We hope this message you're about to listen to ministers to you and changes your life. Enjoy. Let me go to Colossians chapter 1 verse 22 and this this two verses here is really going to kind of set a foundation for what I want to do over these next four weeks. How many know that Jesus was on the cross for six hours? And in those six hours, he made seven statements. I want to take two each week until we get to that final week, and I want to focus on it is finished on Palm Sunday. We'll do the Lord's Supper together, and it'll lead us right into uh, the Passion Week and Resurrection Sunday. But let me just start here with Colossians 1. It says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, To present you, everybody say holy, in his sight, everybody say without blemish, and free from accusation. Verse 23, if you continue, everybody say if, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and don't move from the hope held out in the gospel. Here's what I love right here. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. That, that you're holy and blameless, the, everything that we just read, that is the gospel. You're forgiven, you're holy, you're blameless. And, and if you'll just continue in this, this is the gospel that you've heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. So I told you I want to take each one of Jesus' statements. I'm going to do it in chronological order. This is the first one. This is what I'm going to take my title from today. It's Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. It says, read this with me. We all know it. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. So let me see that cross spoke image there. The cross spoke, you are forgiven. So say to somebody around you, you're forgiven. Say back to them what I do wrong. Don't answer that. You're forgiven. God bless you. Be seated. (laughs) I did that. I I didn't do that in the first service. I just thought I'd catch somebody. So Jesus said seven things from the cross, and the cross spoke seven things to us. Verse 22 there, it says that um, through his death, through the death of Christ, that we are presented holy, Uh, without blemish and free from accusation, and we're in the presence of God. Verse 23 said, if you'll continue in that faith, that you'll walk in that faith, if you establish yourself and are firm in that faith, and you don't move from the hope of the gospel, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to think of this, if if we go back to verse 22 there for a second, because of the cross, because of Calvary, because of Christ, you have been reconciled. You have been restored back to a perfect fellowship and a right standing with God. That's good news. That's the gospel. Through 
Calvary, through the cross, we are restored and reconciled. And that guilt and that shame and that condemnation and that distance and that separation, that sin caused way back in the garden, and we kept that ball going, because of Jesus, because of the cross, because of Calvary, we can again have that perfect union and relationship with God that Adam and Eve had way back in the garden. We can have that. Now, I want to just present this gospel to you because I want to take time. I, I love this ability here, this time of year, for us to just really recenter and just refocus. I, I mentioned that we, you know, we come through 21 days of prayer and fashion, the whole counsel of God. We had a Super Sunday where had kind of a fun message that had some football illustrations in it. But this, these four weeks, I want us to just get back to the basics, the basics of the gospel, that it is through his blood, it is through Christ's cross, it is from what happened on that hill called Golgotha. It was the whipping post. It was the crown of thorns. It was the spear in his side. It was a nail-pierced hands. It was blood that came from Calvary's cross, which has purchased my salvation. And as a result of Calvary, I can be presented and be in his sight, in his presence, some of you might be here today and you say, I, I, don't feel, I don't feel God. I didn't have goosebumps when I walked in here today. I, I, I didn't feel, or you didn't feel it, you're in His presence. Just because you feel it or you don't feel it, it doesn't change God. You are in His presence. You are in His sight. And I just want to remind you that even when you walk through a dry season, it doesn't make his promises null and void. He is with you. You are in his presence because of the cross. You are in his presence and you are in his sight. And here's the best part of that. Because of the cross, when you stand in his presence, you are holy, you are without blemish, and you are free from accusation. Now, I know none of us really have it together. I got a real big amen right there in the first service. This, the second service, a little more, I don't know. Uh, maybe we got a little working through things. I'm working through things on my job. Working through things in our marriage, with our kids, with our family. We're, we're working through things. But I can stand in His presence and be hidden by the cross. I can stand in his presence and be covered by his blood. And it's in his presence and it's because of Calvary that I am holy, I'm without blemish, and I'm free from accusation. Now when I saw that word accusation this week, I couldn't help but think that John the Revelator in chapter 12, he called Satan the accuser of the brethren. He said, he's the, he's the one that's accusing you. He's the one accusing the brothers and sisters in the family of God. He is the one that's accusing you. It's not God that's accusing you. It's Satan that's accusing you. I thought of the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. They brought her to Jesus and they said, Rabbi, we know the law. You know that we have to stone her. Jesus says, you're right. That is what the law says. Let the one without sin go ahead and throw the first stone. 
they start dropping the stones one by one. Jesus goes over to the woman and says, honey, look up. Where are your accusers? You have none. And neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Satan might be accusing you. There might be people in your life that are accusing you. You might have an old friend that don't have good things to say about you. <laughs> you might have an old girlfriend that don't, <laughs> that don't have good things to say about you. You might have a former boss, a former employee, a former neighbor. Don't have much good to say about you. I mentioned this before, but, you know, 2020 was a wild year, and uh, we started doing the services online. We had to close for eight, nine weeks, whatever that was in the springtime, and so I'd never been sharing preaching clips of myself. I thought that might be braggadocious or something, but hey, it was 2020. We had to do what we had to do, so I was sharing preaching clips and, and, and putting our services online, not only on the church page, but on mine, and, and, I, and I got this, I got, a, I got a message in my Facebook messenger from a guy I went to high school with that I hadn't talked to in like 20 years, and I got a, a one line in my Facebook messenger said, you're a pastor? Like three question marks. You're a pastor now? Three question marks. I'll tell you, there might be people in your past that accuse you, don't have a lot of good things to say about you. They might have an old story about you. The mirror and accuse yourself. But let me tell you today, because of Calvary, because of the cross, because of the blood, Jesus don't accuse you. God does not accuse you. You stand in his presence holy, blameless, without blemish, and without accusation. That's worth giving God a praise right there. Just take a praise break and thank God that I'm free. Now, verse 23, it starts out with an if. How many know there's always fine print? This is the clause. This is God saying, I'll do my part, you do your part. If you continue, all you got to do is just walk in it. You've been forgiven, just walk in it. You've been forgiven, just act like it. <laughs> You've been set free, just stay free. If you'll continue, if you'll establish yourself in Christ, if you'll stand firm in Christ, if you don't waver, if you don't drift away, if you believe the gospel, if you put your faith in Jesus, if you stand on the word and you don't waver, if you don't move on from the hope of the gospel, that's all you got to do. I say, how does that work? Because I still got issues. I still got hangups. I still got traps and deal with temptations and... I'm still working things out. But I'm telling you, God's washed you. God's forgiven you. He's cleansed you. And if you'll walk on that, and you'll stand on that, eventually you'll start living holy. You'll start living righteous. The fruits of the Spirit will start blossoming in your life. And where there was hate, now there's love. And where there was strife, fear, and tension, now there's peace. Where there, was, where there was frustration and unhappiness and depression, now there's joy. Where there was, uh, now there's patience. Where there was impatience, 
Now there's kindness where there was unkind words, unkind thoughts, unkind actions. Now there's the kindness, the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And it's true that when you're saved, you are born again. You are washed. You are cleansed. You're a new creature in Christ. But at the same time, it's true that He's still perfecting you. I'm still a work in progress. You're still a work in progress. But here's the good news. God is perfecting you. It says it in Ephesians 4.11. He says that he gave us apostles. He gave us prophets. He gave us evangelists. He gave us pastors and teachers for, watch it now, for the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. God has given us the ministry of the body of Christ. He's given us the house of God. He's given us the ministry of the house of God in order to perfect us. But watch it now. It said it's perfecting the saints. He's already calling you a saint. But he's still working on you. Because it's still a process. And I thought about that because I, when I read it, I think, well, saints don't need perfecting. I've been in church a while. Saints still need some perfecting. <laughs> right? I, hey, we're all in church here, but don't leave your wallet on the pew when you come up and pray. Put that thing in your pant pocket. We're saints, but we still need perfecting. We're saints, but we don't got it all together yet. And so I looked up this word saints, and it's hygos in the Greek. It means somebody that's pure. God's calling them pure, but still says they need perfecting. God says they're blameless and holy. That's what saint means. But God says they still need perfecting. They are saved. They are sanctified. But God said we still need perfecting because it's a process. But if, remember, there's an if. If you'll keep believing, if you'll keep walking, if you'll keep standing, if you'll keep moving, if you'll keep praying, if you'll keep on keeping on, he is perfecting something in me that catches up to what God has called me to be. There's something that God is perfecting in me that catches up to what God sees in me. He's already cleansed me. He's already forgave me. But he's perfecting me through the work of the ministry. And if I'll allow him to do that, he'll perfect something in me that catches up to what he's already called me to be. Now somehow I think that, that we think, somehow I think that we think, until I solve all of my problems, until I fix all of my issues, until I'm perfect, I'm not really saved. I'm not really forgiven. See, the enemy will accuse of the brethren. He'll come to you and say, you're not perfect, that means you're not saved. But that's not what it says. It said he's still perfecting those that are saved. 
those that are pure, those that are blameless. But the enemy will tell you, until you solve all your problems, until you get perfect, until you're, you get all that stuff worked out, you're not saved, you're not forgiven. But that's not what God says. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. God says you're forgiven right here, right now. You're blameless and there's no accuser on you. You are saved and you are sanctified and you're a saint of God. Look, I, I just want to break it to you. <laughs> you ain't never going to be perfect right here. Not with this flesh. Does anybody else got this? It's an earth suit. I don't know how theological that is, Brian, but you got an earth suit. You got flesh. <laughs> right? You got a tongue. You got a mouth. You got hands. You got earth suit. And I'll just break it to you. You'll never be perfect as long as you have flesh. That's why it said he's perfecting. Didn't say he perfected. How many are thankful for the ing on that verse? I'm thankful that it's a process and I can go to him and say, God, I messed up again. I need a little more grace. I need a little more mercy. I need a little more fixing. I need a little more perfecting. I need a little more working in my life because I need that grace and mercy in my life. And so I want you to get this down this, these few weeks leading up to Passion Week and Resurrection Sunday. I just ask you this. If you really believed what we've already seen today, how would it change your worship? How would it change your prayer life? How would it change the fact that you love to just open this Bible every day and scroll through it maybe as half as much as we scroll through Facebook or Instagram? How, you, how would it change your life if you really believed, I am saved, I am loved, I am forgiven, I am... Oh, how would it change you? See, because I think we come in here and for the first five, ten minutes of worship, we're hearing the lies of the enemy. We're hearing the accusations of the enemy. You can't lift your hands. You know what you did on Tuesday. You can't, you can't sing. You know what you said on Thursday. You, you can't close your eyes and worship God. You're the accuser of the brethren. That's the accuser. How would you worship if you came in here knowing... I'm not perfect, but I'm being perfected. I'm, perf I'm on that process of perfecting. And so I'm going to come in here and I'm going to worship like I'm free. I'm going to clap like I'm forgiven. I'm going to praise like I'm saved. I'm going to worship like he's preparing a place for me in New Jerusalem. I'm going to worship him like I've already got the victory. I'm going to praise him. Oh, somebody ought to give God a praise there. I'm going to praise him. Like I've already been saved. Because he saved you. He sanctified you. How would we celebrate if we really believed that? And so the cross ushered in that new covenant. But in the old covenant, God didn't quite put, uh, put this into words in my notes. And so I try to select my words carefully. But in reality, the new covenant needed to... to to satisfy, if I could say it that way, the Old Covenant. In order for the New Covenant to come in, the Old Covenant 
had to be satisfied. The debt of sin had to be paid. And so in the old covenant, God required a sacrifice. From Genesis to Malachi, you will see that God required a sacrifice or, if you prefer the word, a substitute for our sin. Hebrews 9 and 22, of course, says, And without the shedding of blood, there is no, Hebrews 9 and 22, there's no forgiveness of sins. God, this goes all the way back to the garden. God told Abraham, Adam rather, and Eve in the garden, if you sin, you will die. The serpent comes to Eve and says, did God really, has God really said that? You won't surely die. Of course, they sinned, they eat of the fruit, they immediately experience a spiritual death, and the clock at that moment started on their physical death. But God's grace and mercy was evident even in the garden because he allowed an atonement for their sin. God allowed a substitute, a sacrifice to die in their place. And from that day forward, I I thought about this this week, that it was interesting that they tried to cover their sin with a fig leaf. It didn't work. The last thing that Jesus did, the last miracle that Jesus did, was he cursed that fig leaf and it didn't grow fruit anymore. I think that the interesting thing is is that we can sometimes try to hide our sin. We can try to act like we don't have sin in our life. We can try to cover it our own way with a fig leaf. But Jesus cursed that and it never grew fruit again. But we see that God's plan was the blood. And that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so from that time forward, God allowed there to be a substitute. And you would bring that sacrificial lamb to the priest on the day of atonement. And Leviticus 5 tells us that that lamb needed to be without blemish. In other words, we weren't going to look at our flock and say, honey, you know that one real sickly three-legged lamb out there that's real skinny, wouldn't be a good lamb chop anyways? (laughs) Let's go get that one, take it to God. I feel bad. I'm not looking over at these folks over here. Let's take that three-legged lamb, honey. We're not going to eat those lamb. That we're not going to use that one anyway. Let's take it to the priest. Let's let's you know. Let's use that. God says no. It needs to be an unblemished lamb. It needs to be a spotless lamb. Here's why: because when you would bring that unblemished lamb to the priest, this is why it was important, that priest would inspect the lamb. He would look it up and down. He would look at it for any blemishes. And here's the part I want to point out. The priest would inspect the lamb. He didn't inspect you. Because he already knew you were mixed up, messed up, had a bunch of sin from the last day of atonement. So he's not inspecting you. He's inspecting the lamb. So the priest wouldn't say, you're a mess, you're a lost cause, you can't bring an offering, you can't bring a worship, you can't bring a sacrifice. No, 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 the priest wouldn't say that. The reason you're bringing an offering, the reason you're bringing a worship, the reason you're bringing a sacrifice is because you needed a substitute. So catch it now, the priest didn't look at the man, the priest looked at the lamb. He wasn't inspecting you, he was inspecting the lamb. And when God looks at me, he doesn't look at me. He looks at the offering. He went, oh, I feel that today. When God looks at me, he doesn't see me. 
He looks at the offering. He looks at the lamb. Oh, somebody ought to get excited about that today. When he sees me, he doesn't see me. He sees the lamb. He sees the offering. He sees the cross. He sees Calvary. He sees the blood. I'm hidden behind the cross. I'm washed in the blood. And that is why I'm white as snow. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb. Jesus was the spotless lamb. He was the born. He was the substitute. He was the sacrifice. And that's why, that's why we still sing songs about the blood of Jesus. That's why we still preach about the blood of Jesus. That's why you'll, you'll hear, uh, I said in the first, old school Pentecostal prayer warriors pleading the blood of Jesus. Because there's something powerful in that. He doesn't see me, he sees the blood. He doesn't see me, he sees white as snow. He doesn't see me in my faults, he sees me washed, blameless, and holy, standing in front of him without accusation, blemish, or fault. That's why we need the blood. It's only by the blood. I'll tell you, if there's no blood, there's no gospel. If there's no Calvary, there's no gospel. If there's no cross, there's no forgiveness. But the cross spoke the word of forgiveness. I, told you, I mentioned a few minutes ago, but for six hours, Jesus was on the cross. And the first thing he spoke, the very first thing, I want you to get this today, was forgiveness. So my first point today, and I only got two, so don't worry. The cross spoke forgiveness. The cross spoke forgiveness. Jesus was the spotless lamb. He was the firstborn, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And yet he found himself on a criminal's cross that he did not deserve to be on. He could have, he could have had any kinds of emotions. There could have been all kinds of things running around in, in, in his spirit. Of course, in the garden, he was sweating great drops of blood, the stress that was on him. But the first thing he spoke on the cross is in Luke 23 and 34. He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they Notice it now. He didn't deserve to be on that cross. Acts chapter 10, 38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing, what does it say? Doing good. All he did was good, healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So he was on earth for 33 years. His public ministry was for three and a half years and he did nothing but going around and doing good. There was no one that had a bad word to say about him. There was no one that had an accusation, a legitimate accusation against him. There was nobody that could say, he wronged me, he lied to me, he, he, he spoke ill to me, he, he cheated me no one could have had any accusation against him all he did was do miracles teach parables he feed the hungry raise disciples raise the dead all he did was unlock deaf ears multiply bread open blinded eyes all he did was good but yet they rejected him John opens his gospel in chapter 1. He basically says, I'm going to tell you all these good things about Jesus, but in the first chapter I want to tell you that they rejected him. 
They did not receive him. And friend, I wish I could tell you today that it was only the first century that didn't receive him. It was only the first century that rejected him. But how many know we've done the very same thing? He's been so good to you, you can't tell it all. He's been so good to me, I can't tell it all. And yet I fail him. Yet with my actions, I deny him. Yet with my priorities, I mix things up and put him last and don't put him first. Even though he's delivered me and saved me and healed me and blessed me, there are my actions that I've rejected him. So when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, he wasn't just talking about them that were present there that day. He wasn't just saying, Father, forgive the Roman soldiers that are are." putting me to this whipping post. He wasn't just saying, Father, forgive these Roman soldiers that are putting the crown of thorns on my head and and a spear in my side and, and nails into my hands. He wasn't just saying, Father, forgive Judas who betrayed me with a kiss or Pontius Pilate that had a cowardly uh, ruling. He was talking about you. He was talking about me. He was looking into the future and on that cross he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. I'll tell you that's so true of sin. Oftentimes when we sin, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know the magnitude of our... We don't know the destructive thing that it's going to do in our life. We don't know the generations that will be affected by our temptation, our fall, our trap. We don't understand the ramifications sometimes. We don't understand the weight of eternity. We don't understand that in a moment we could be called to give an account for our life. We don't understand sometimes how long eternity is, how beautiful heaven's going to be, and how wretched hell would be. But Jesus said, I want to make sure that there is grace for anybody that comes to the foot of the cross. I want to make sure that There's mercy for anybody that comes to the foot of the cross. See, I don't think Eve knew what was going to happen when she bit into that apple. I don't think she knew the destruction that would come on her life, how her world was going to change. And oftentimes we don't know sin, but Jesus, the first thing he said on the cross is, I want to make sure there is forgiveness available. And when you see this cross, know that the first thing Jesus said is make sure there's forgiveness for them. They don't know what they're doing. Why is this cross on the screen so precious? Why do people well up with tears when they sing the old rugged cross? Why do people, why, do, why is it so precious? Why is it such a symbol? It, it was just the two pieces of wood. It's precious because when you see it, you see forgiveness. When you see it, you see grace. When you see it, you see mercy. When you see it, you see salvation. When you see it, you know you can run to the foot of the cross and there's mercy for you. There's grace for you. There's hope for you. There's the foot of the cross. That's why it's so precious. Romans 5 and 8, it said, But God demonstrated His own love for us in this while we were yet sinners. King James is just tattooed in my brain. While we were still sinners. It's a big difference in the translators there. Christ died for us. Think about this. While we were still sinning, Christ died for us. 
Jesus is on the cross. They're still sinning. Jesus is is bleeding and dying, and they're still rejecting him. He's hanging on the cross, slumped, spear in his side. They're still mocking him. He's looking out on the crowd, and he doesn't see any of the disciples except John the Beloved and his own mother. Everyone deserted him. Everyone else has scattered. He could have said, forget it. I'm calling down 10,000 angels. They're still sinning. They're deserting me. They have scattered. They don't appreciate it. But the Bible said while we were sinning, Christ died for us. That means he's not shocked by your sin. He's not surprised by your sin. He died for you anyways. You know, we can be shocked and surprised by our sin sometimes. But God isn't. We can come down to this altar and say, Lord, I'm never going to do it again. I promise you, I ain't ever going back to that. We do on Tuesday. Can I just be funny with you today? Lord, I ain't never going to do that scratch-off ticket again. I did $100 in there. I wasted $100 in 7-Eleven. Tuesday, you're in there. Lord, I'm never going to do it again. I had somebody tithe off one of them one time. So, hey, praise the Lord for that. I don't know. (laughs) The cameras aren't on in the second service. You got to forgive me. I get to. uh... Anyways, we get surprised by our sin sometimes. Lord, I'm never going to go back to it. I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to fall in that trap again. I'm never going to do that thing again. I'm never going to go back to that thing again. And then we go back to it, and we're surprised by it. We say, Lord, I can't believe I did that thing again. But guess what? God is not shocked by it. He's not surprised by it. He died for you, knowing you'd fail him again, knowing you'd fall again, knowing you'd mess up again. But he didn't come down off the cross. He died for you you while you were still sinning he died for you while you were still a sinner and so you can to the cross and say Jesus I need a touch one more time Jesus I need a strength one more time Jesus I need a blessing one more time Jesus I need you in my life one more time Jesus I need you one more time you know here's what will happen if we'll do that 1 John 1 and 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful and he's just. Now, I've read this a million times, I don't know, a lot of times. And I've thought before, okay, yes, I know he's faithful, meaning he's going to do it again. It's, he's like clockwork. It's gonna, he's faithful. You can count on him. But here's what I've always overlooked, the fact that he is just. He's faithful and he's just, meaning it's the right thing to do if you when you confess your sin. How is that? It's because justice was already poured out on Jesus. He already paid the price. So it's right to forgive you when you confess your sin. I used this example in the first service and it didn't, I, I wasn't able to do it right because I knew that I couldn't go out to eat after the first service. But I can go out to eat after the second service. So here's my example. If I went out to eat with you after church today and let's say you decided that you were going to buy my lunch. 
Now, see, I could have done this example in reverse, but I chose to do it this way, okay? So I'm just going to run with it. If you decided to buy my lunch, the just and the right thing to do is for the restaurant to give me that food for free and let me leave the restaurant without paying for it because you already paid for it. Jesus already paid for your sin. That's why it's the right thing to do for God to forgive you. Not because sin isn't serious. Sin is serious. Look at the cross. Not because God is winking at sin. See, sometimes we think, well, maybe sin isn't that serious because I can just keep asking for forgiveness and I can keep asking for grace. I can keep asking for mercy. So it must not be that serious. No, no, no. Sin is serious. It can ruin your life. It can destroy your life. It can take you to hell. But God says you can be forgiven of it because the price for sin has already been paid. And so God doesn't wink at sin. Look at Calvary. Sin isn't cheap, but look at Calvary. But the price has already been paid. So if you'll confess, he's faithful and he's just. This word in the Greek, confession rather, this word in the Greek, confess it. God is saying this about my sin. And if I'll say the same thing about my sin, then there's forgiveness. So when I say, Lord... I'm not playing with this sin anymore. This sin is serious. I'm not winking at it. I'm not playing with it. I don't want it in my life anymore. It's wrong. It hurts somebody. It's going to take me to hell. It's not your plan. It's not your purpose. It's not your calling. It's not your will for my life. If you'll confess it and say what he's saying about your sin, he will forgive you. You know, I think sometimes we pray for forgiveness like this. We say, please, please, Lord, please, 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 please. And we beg and we plead and we plead. Please, God, forgive me. Please, God, forgive me. He's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sin. Sometimes we're like those prophets of Baal when they were calling down the fire, for trying to call down heaven. They were even cutting themselves and, and pleading. And guess what? Fire never fell. Elijah steps up to the altar. He prays a 63-word prayer. Fire falls from heaven. We can pray with that kind of faith because he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sin. We can say, Lord, forgive me, and I can get up from that altar knowing that I'm forgiven, that I'm set free, that I'm holy, that I'm blameless, that I am forgiven completely. I just say it this way, God doesn't kind of forgive you. <laughs> you ever, yeah, I, I'm guilty of it. You, you ever prayed and prayed at the altar and you, you got up and you think, okay, I, I think God's going to probably put me on a trial basis here. And if I can go like 14 days without any sin, then my prayer for forgiveness from last Sunday will be a pat. I'm the only one. <laughs> Thank you, whoever that was. <laughs> Sometimes it gets tied up here. It's just me. But God doesn't, God doesn't kind of forgive us. The reason we think that is because we kind of forgive people. You ever kind of forgave somebody? Well, I'm going to forgive you, but I'm going to remember it. I'm going to keep it in the back of my mind. Because if I ever need to bring it up again, you better believe I'm bringing it up again. That's kind of forgiving somewhat. God doesn't kind of forgive you. He cast it into the sea of forgetfulness. As far as the east is from the west is. You are forgiven. He 
He's faithful and just to forgive us. Music come. I got to close today. The second point, and that's what's going to close us out today, is that the cross spoke salvation. You know, we can forgive. The cross spoke forgiveness, but in the second thing Jesus said, it spoke salvation. He spoke salvation. You know, I thought about it this. I thought about this this week. Um, he forgives us, and then he asks us to forgive. In fact, Jesus said that my forgiveness is tied to my willingness to forgive somebody else. But then he saves us, but he doesn't ask us to save anyone because I can't save anyone. In fact, he reserves it for himself because salvation belongs to him. Salvation is his job. Salvation is what he does. I could forgive you, but I can't save you. If you wronged me, I could say you're forgiven. But I have no ability to get you into heaven. But the cross not only forgave us, but the cross also saved us. Because it's His and His alone to give. Psalm 3 and 8, it says it this way. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation is His. Why? Because He has the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He's preparing a place for you. So salvation belongs to the Lord. Psalm 62 and 1 is a psalm of David. It says, a psalm of David, truly my soul silently waits for God. From Him comes my salvation. You'll find that over and over in the scripture. I just pulled a couple of them. But here's what we see. This is the second thing that Jesus said on the cross. It's in Luke 23, 42 through 43. It says, then he said to Jesus, the he being what scripture calls or what commentators have called the, the penitent thief. Uh, the, the criminal that said to the other criminal, he doesn't deserve to be here. He's, he's not like us. And this man looked at Jesus in his final breaths. He said, Lord, remember me when you come in to your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. You won't be on this cross forever. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, just like you and I, this man did not live a holy life. I think it's fair to say he didn't live a blameless life. He didn't live a life without accusation. In fact, the reason he was on the cross, I think it's safe to say whatever happened in his life that led him to that point, there were accusations against him. He wasn't living a saved and sanctified, righteous and holy life. But God had brought him into that moment. And it was in that moment because of the cross Jesus spoke a word of forgiveness, but he also spoke a word of salvation. And so Jesus doesn't just forgive you of your sin, but he also saves you from your sin. 
He doesn't just forgive you for you to return to sin, but the salvation part comes to save you from the sin and He makes you new. He makes you a new creature so that I'm no longer trapped by the sin. I'm no longer ruled by the sin. I'm no longer owned by the sin. I'm no longer controlled by the sin. But now there's a freedom because not only am I forgiven of sin, but I'm saved by sin. I'm saved from the sin. Stand with me. I'm going to close here today. I want to give you one last verse. Hang with me for just a second. Romans 6 and 23. It says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thought about it this way. I want to look at that word wages. You know, if um, I, I asked the first service, I don't think there was anybody. How many still get like a, an actual check on Friday? Anybody still get a check on Friday? A couple people, maybe. CJ? Okay, cool. All right, so CJ's my example today. CJ, if you went there, uh, Little Caesars, right? So CJ, if you uh, were at Little Caesars on Friday, and your, your boss, he gives you, you're the boss though, right? You're the, you're the boss. But you have a boss, right? You don't own it yet, right? Okay. So you have a boss. Your boss gives you the paycheck. You don't, you don't, CJ, you don't fall down to your knees and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, boss. You gave me my check. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You don't do that, right? Because you earned it. You were on the clock for 45 hours that week. You earned your wages. And so you got it because you deserved it. That's what the scripture says here, that the wages of sin, you were working for sin. You were working for, you were living for hell. You, the, this is what you deserve. You, the wages of sin, this is what you earned. You earned death. That is the wages of sin. You earned death. But here's the gift, and this is where I get thankful. This is where I fall down on my knees and I say, thank you, Jesus. There's a gift that I didn't earn, and it's the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what the cross spoke, is it spoke salvation. When I didn't deserve it, it spoke the gift of eternal life. And so here's what I want to do today. I want us to bow our head and close our eyes. And I just want to make a simple appeal today because I believe that it's in these times when we can get back to the basics of, of the gospel, of the cross that I can get my heart centered, I can get my right, I can get my life aligned in right step with the Lord and just say like that penitent thief, Lord, remember me. Lord, cleanse me. Lord, wash me. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. But I'm asking for it right now in Jesus' name. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Share this message with a friend and don't forget to hit subscribe. See you next time.